lesson from the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. Brethren, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But fornication and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is fitting among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor silly talk, nor levity, which are not filled with church, which are not fitting, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Be sure of this, that no fornicator or impure man or one who is covetous, that is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not associate with them, for once you were darkness, but now you were light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. <clears throat> Continuation of the Holy Gospel according to Luke. At that time, Jesus was casting out a demon that was dumb, but the demon had gone out. When the demon had gone out, the dumb man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons. While others, to test him, sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they shall be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when one stronger than he assails him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted, and divides his spoil. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places, seeking rest, and finding none. He says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it swept and put in order. Then he goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than himself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. As he said this, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you, and the breasts that you sucked. But he said, Rather, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. The saving words of the gospel. Well, we continue our spiritual uh, pilgrimage to visit the station churches, the Roman churches, assigned to each day of Lent. And today there is no collect church because uh, the place where we're going is a little far out. Um, it's St. Lawrence outside the walls. We've been here before. We were here at Septuagesima, at the very beginning of the pre-Lent preparatory time uh, for Lent, which is the preparatory time for, of course, Easter. And that's when the catechumens 
were introduced to very dire themes back in Septuagesima, the first time that we had purple at a mass for a while. Well, now we have the, uh, all the catechumens are back. And uh, it was on this Sunday, the third Sunday, that they had one of the scrutinies when the catechumens would be tested about what they're doing um, in their lives and also of what they're learning uh, about the faith. And um, this issue of what they're doing with their lives is, you know, very important. It's one of the reasons why we have this, um, why we have this uh, uh, important lesson from St. Paul uh, to the Ephesians, which is really about renouncing pagan ways. And that's exactly what catechumens are doing. They're renouncing pagan ways. And so he has a he has various uh, things in here that says that what we, we don't do these things as Christians. And it can be a real examination of conscience uh, for, for all of us um, about the way especially that we talk. And there's a piece of advice that one can take from this. And it's something that I will often mention in the confessional. How many sins could we avoid if we just kept our mouths shut? Just going to let that sink in for a moment. Okay, hopefully it has sunk in. Now let's move to the gospel. And it is an extremely complicated pericope. A pericope is a cutting from Scripture. We have really three parts in it. The Lord casts out a demon and then he's challenged by those around him, uh, saying, you can cast out demons because you are in league with the demon. You are in league with the enemy of the soul, and that's what gives you power to, to cast out demons. And the Lord refutes them. And then in the second section, he talks about the return of the demon to where it was before. And then in the third section, seemingly unrelated, we have this thing tacked on about a woman in the crowd raising her voice to praise the Lord's mother. And the Lord deflects this praise. And he says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Well, hearing the word of God and keeping it is exactly what his mother did. But it seems like he's deflecting praise from his mother. And that's, I don't think, what he's doing at all. What he's doing, I think, here is trying to move the people from the immediate, from the imminent, like what he's just been doing, these marvelous things that he's been doing, and from his own physical person, in a, in a lot of ways, the tangible, trying to move people from the tangible to the intangible, from the immediate to the eternal. And this is one of the reasons why he won't let Mary Magdalene grab onto him uh, near the empty tomb of the resurrection, and when he disappears from the table in Emmaus after his resurrection, when he broke the bread, uh, and they, they recognized him suddenly, his disciples recognized him suddenly, and then he disappeared from them. He's trying to move people away from the earthly way of seeing things 
and thinking about them to the heavenly way of thinking about them. I think that's what's going on there. Also, you know, the ancient, uh, our, our ancient uh, Roman uh, forebears were pretty clever. <clears throat> and it just so happens that this Marian thing, which is tacked on to these two things having demon, you know, about demons. I mean, why is this even there, right? Why, why is this thing about true blessedness? Blessed rather are those who hear the word and keep it. What, what is that even doing there? It doesn't seem to have anything to do with what, what went before. Well, so why include it in a Sunday reading at, you know, St. Lawrence outside the walls? Well, it's precisely because we're at St. Lawrence outside the walls. Because St. Lawrence outside the walls was built over the tomb of Lawrence. And the, the basilica that Constantine built was really too small. And so a pope later on, Pelagius, I think it was, built another hall onto the basilica. And it was dedicated to the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then later on, it was rearranged so that the walls were removed and it formed one enormous building. But the fact is, is that this Marian piece was tacked on to the building. And I think that's just a, a, a clever, I think somebody, some clever boots way back um, did this because of that, uh, because of that fact. Anyway, it's just a, a supposition of mine. Now I'm going to talk about this for a moment this business with the demons and the unclean spirit that goes out and then comes back. Let's just hear that section for, for a second. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he passes through waterless places seeking rest, and finding none, he says, I will return to my house from which I came. <clears throat> notice, that, notice that the demon is thinking in terms of the right to be able to go back. Demons are very legalistic. And and one of the process of processes of a of a of a of an exorcism is to break the bond to break the claim uh, a very legalistic claim the demons have to be in a place or uh, or to be a, a oppressing or possessing a person. So I will return to my house from which he came, from which I came indicates that that kind of sense of of right to be there and so then when the demon comes back to that house he finds it swept and put in order now what's going on with that the house of course is the soul uh, not no not the soul the house is the body of the person or the place that we're talking about you know demons have have demons have the ability to prompt our memories and and to influence our senses to a certain degree, but they have no power over our will. So they really can't, you know, get at our soul. And what they do um, here, uh, what, what the demon does then, in finding it swept and put in order, finds seven other spirits worse than himself and brings them in so that the, the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. So what's going on here? How is the, first of all, it's like a mini parable, and a parable is a twist. And the twist here is, how is it that if the man is squared away, if his 
state of soul is good because it's swept and put in order, how is it that the demon can get back? Well, I've puzzled over this for, for a long time, because a house that's put in good order shouldn't be the right place for, for demons, and yet here they come and they're worse than before. I think one of the, the cases, one, one, of, one of the things that explains this is the state of a lapsed sinner. Um, it can happen that a person who recognizes his sinfulness does a really good examination of conscience and makes a, makes a good confession, a sincere confession out of sorrow of all mortal sins, both in kind and number, trying to be really thorough and so forth, and, and then it comes to be absolved and is really resolved and, and, and intends to amend his life as he's making his confession, gets out of the confession, and it's possible to fall into a moment of kind of spiritual pride where one swiftly forgets the kind of miserable state and the terrible feeling that one had knowing that you're in the state of, of mortal sin and then becomes incautious about those things that maybe were habitual sins that you just confessed and therefore falls back into a pattern of life that leads to sinning again, maybe doing those same things, and maybe even very quickly after having made one's confession. And so you wind up in the confessional again, and then again, and again and again, and your confessor at a certain point is going to say, hey, you know, what's going on here? And it's possible for a person to fall into a kind of a hopelessness or a kind of a despair. It's an interesting thing about the theological virtues that by mortal sin we lose charity, we lose the theological virtue of charity. And then it's possible to lose the theological, not only lose the theological virtue, but lose even the, even the, the basic virtue of hope that one who loses hope then stops trying. Now, faith can remain. It's really interesting that, uh, you know, even people who, who have fallen and have been away from the church for years and years, and you know, think of all the celebrities out there and so forth who are Catholic, and they say, oh, I'm a recovering Catholic, or something like that, something stupid like that. And then... But they, but what they do, the way that they express themselves remains in Catholic terms. Um, they, they, it's, it's like they still believe, but they have lost a kind of a hope, and therefore um, their their actions are they they have by their habituated actions so removed themselves from the process of the re-examination and, and conversion that they don't even try anymore and then they get mired where they are I think that's I think that's what this is all about it's kind of a pride goeth before the fall lesson um, 
if we if we if we're not cautious, if we are not extreme, let's put it this way: if we're not extremely humble about who we are, especially in that time after having made a good confession and and having received absolution, if we do not emerge out of that, certainly elated that we've returned to the state of grace and you have that wonderful sense of relief and you're happy and so forth but at that point you should say wow I have got to now be extra careful more careful than ever about those things which got me into the confessional in the first place I have to be ten times as cautious now as I ever was before because I don't want to have that kind of lapse. I think that's what's going on in this. And then there's the whole issue too about, you know, the the, the issue of demonology and so forth. We're not going to go into that. I think that's what's going on. So we have uh, two points to walk away from. Take a look at the letter from the Ephesians and think about how um, your patterns of speech and how you talk and the things that you choose to talk about and how many sins can we avoid by just keeping our mouths shut? And secondly, we should be very careful, uh, especially after having made a little spiritual progress, especially through the confessional, um, to avoid those things, to avoid the near occasions of sin, to really change the pattern of life so you don't wind up in a worse place than you were before. Credo in unum Deum, Padre Mongipotentem Factorum Celi Etere, Visibilium Omnium et Invisibilium, et in unum Dominum Iesum Christum Filium Deum Ingenitum, et ex Patria Natum Ati Omnia Secula, Deum de Deum Lumine Lumine Deum Vero de Deum Vero, Genitum Nos Pactum, Consubstantialem Patri Pecremonia Pactusum, qui proprio nos omnis et proprio nos absolutum descendit in Celis, et incarnatus est, et Spiritus Sancto ex Maria Virgine, de Pomo Pactus est, Crucifixus et si apronobis supponso pilato, passus et sepultus est, et resurrexit tertia die secundum scripturas. Et ascendit in cielum, sedit ad exen patris, et iterum ventutus est cum gloria iudicare vivus amorcos, cuius reini non edit finis. Et in spiritum sanctum dominum et vivificantem, qui ex patri filio quei procedit, qui cum patri filio simul arenatur e congledicatum, qui locutus est prima petas, et unam sanctam catholicam et apostolicam ecclesiam, confiteur una baptisma in eristio in peccatorum, et expecto resurrectione mortuorum, et vitam in duri seculi. Amen. Dominus obiscum. Oremus. Justitiae Domini Erecte, divinantes cora, judicia eus dulciora supermel et favum, nam et servos solos custoditeat.